I struggled all week uh, to know how to uh, introduce uh, Sabrina because she's not really a guest preacher. Everyone knows uh, her around Oak Church, um, but um, uh, and I've been trying to get her to to be able to preach, and she's a, a really busy person. Um, and a lot of that busyness, when when it's not uh, related to her awesome kids and family. Um, is uh, related to her job with InterVarsity as the National Director of Asian Student Ministries. Um, and so really uh, pleased to have uh, Sabrina um, sharing for us today, uh, preaching, uh, and especially in a busy time uh, following the uh, massacres in Atlanta. Um, she's been really busy uh, with ministry and uh, really heavy um, weighty ministry and important ministry and ministry that, um, I know I've been praying for, and, uh, I hope uh, you all will, and, and will continue to pray for. Um, so without uh, further ado, um, uh, take it away, Sabrina. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I've definitely been honored by the invitations. I was actually going to acknowledge too. This is, uh, the first time I've been able to say yes. Um, and uh, it's been fun. and maybe one side benefit of being online is I've gotten to have friends join. So thanks to the friends who have joined as well. As well, um, one person even from all the way back is high school. It's what happens with social media and Zoom and online. Um, yeah, I did think about backing out. To be honest, the last two weeks have been really challenging. Um, but I really felt there was an invitation from the Holy Spirit to continue to see what's in Psalm 94 for me, for us. Um, so before we get too much further, um, let's pray. Spirit, we welcome you. Thank you that you're with us. We welcome your work in our hearts and in our lives. Yeah, would you continue to meet us in this time? Amen. About two weeks ago, on Tuesday night, after I finally got the kids in bed, and I know parents, y'all might, you know, especially in pandemic, after you get the kids in bed, it's like, oh. But after I got to finally got the kids in bed, I was doing what I've done quite a few times now in pandemic, right? I joined an online event because that's pretty much what we can do. Um, it was an event from San Francisco Public Library celebrating Chanel Miller, the author of Know My Name, um, which is a memoir uh, and, a, and a, I don't know, sort of a deep dive into sexual assault. She's a survivor of sexual assault, and she's writing about her story and her journey, but also just the things that sexual assault survivors um, have to endure. And so I was excited to hear from her. She's Asian American. Um, she has a really empowering voice. Uh, she's an artist. So she's talking about all these different things and her book. And I have been looking for places to celebrate being Asian American. Um, over the last year, uh, there's been a significant increase in anti-Asian speech uh, from our leaders, even um, American leaders. Um, and then over the last year, there's also been uh, more and more acts of violence towards the Asian American community. 
And especially even starting in February, more and more reports of Asian elders, um, vulnerable Asian elders being um, beaten and even killed. So I had been in the process of leading um, processing times for our staff, um, trying to uh, just help us sort of share our feelings, what, what's going on, um, how do we respond when it seems like our parents, grandparents, aunties and uncles um, are, being, are being harmed. So like I said, I've been intentionally finding space and, and Chanel Miller was great. It was a great evening. Um, I closed the Zoom and the open screen on my laptop was uh, Facebook and uh, saw a post from a friend um, about shootings in Atlanta and an early report saying that six Asian women had been killed. I went a little numb, but I was also trying to read and understand like what, what happened? What, what, is, what are they saying? Trying to like get some facts, I guess. But I think in my, in my gut, I knew, right? I knew what this was. A couple hours later, after Kevin, after even Kevin had gone to bed, I, I went back downstairs to the dining room and I wept. I wept for the victims. I wept for their families. I wept for their communities. I wept for the Asian Americans in Atlanta who had been getting, who had in that evening gotten texts from friends saying, stay inside, there's somebody targeting Asians, shooting at Asians. And I wept for the vulnerability that I've lived with every day as an Asian American woman, for the invisibility, and on the other end, the fetishization that Asian women experience, for the ways that racism and sexualization have always been tied together for me. My first memory of school as a five-year-old is of a rhyme that both otherized and sexualized me and taught me real quick how to, how to be quiet, how to not draw attention to myself, for fear of drawing more otherizing and sexualizing comments. I wept for the ways that I've had to be extra vigilant in this last year walking around, even with the kids in our neighborhood, that it felt that it feels easier to walk around with a hoodie on, sunglasses, so that I can't be recognized as Asian American. In that moment, I felt um, Jesus with me. I felt a reminder that Jesus knows vulnerability. It got worse the next day as I learned that the shooter is part of a Baptist church and said that he was trying to rid himself of sexual temptation. To him, these beautiful people were objects. Six Asian women two others killed. Some wanted to blame his quote, sexual addiction and take his words for truth that it wasn't race related. But every Asian woman has a story about a creepy man or 10, usually white, but not always. And the sexualization of Asian women can't be separated from race. The way the US fought wars in Asia and treated women there and the ways that ever since Asian women have been in America, they've been treated as sexualized objects. The Page Act, which even preceded the Chinese Exclusion Act, specifically excluded Chinese women 
and blame the fact that they were often prostitutes. So it's a long history and it's a long history that's been in my body that I've mostly tried to suppress, right? Tried not to think about. So this is the context in which I've been studying Psalm 94. Um, I think the next day on Wednesday, I realized, oh, I'm preaching in, in like 10 days. And, and there's this lament Psalm I picked. It has both spoken for me and challenged me. Psalm 94 is as Brueggemann describes a Psalm of disorientation of the Psalmist expressing their confusion. It's even categorized as an imprecatory Psalm Imprecatory being a fancy word for asking God to take care of their enemies and not take care of in like, take care of their needs. No, we're talking like take care, like destroy them. And you heard that at the end of this Psalm. Um, yes, the Lord our God will completely destroy them, right? Uh, the Psalmist even goes so far as to say it twice in case you missed it the first time. So I was like, oh, great. Not only did I choose, like, not only am I preaching on lament, which I knew because we've been doing lament this whole time, but I picked an imprec, I accidentally picked an imprecatory psalm. Those are kind of challenging. But I'm grateful. I think the last few days of studying this and, and sitting with it have been important for me, and I hope it's helpful to you too. So Psalm 94, uh, I'm reading out of the Common English Bible, says, Lord, avenging God, avenging God, show yourself. Rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back the arrogant exactly what they deserve. How long will the wicked, O oh Lord, how long will the wicked win? In verse 6, it says they kill widows and immigrants. They murder orphans, saying all the while the Lord can't see it. Jacob's God doesn't know what's going on. And that jumped out at me, right? A lot of these women were immigrants. The youngest was 44, the oldest 74. I felt this. These arrogant officials were taking the word of a murderer and saying it didn't have anything to do with race, who refused to see, and who say that he was just having a, he was having a bad day. Pay back the arrogant, exactly what they deserve. I read on in Psalm 94, verses 8 through 11. The psalmist says, you ignorant people better learn quickly. You fools, when will you get some sense? The one who made the ear, can't he hear? The one who formed the eye, can't God see? It goes on. And, and I honestly sort of felt like as I was reading this, maybe the psalmist is trying to convince themselves as they write, you know? Like, God, you're the one who made the ear. Can't you hear? I just want to make sure you can hear. Don't you see? My own lament and prayer this, this week has been, God, how long are you going to keep letting these people use your name like this? How long? The psalmist is calling for God to come, for God to take vengeance. And that sometimes can be uncomfortable for us, right? Like I said, the, the end of this psalm says God will completely destroy them. And I, I think actually as, as Christians in America, we probably ought to be nervous about the imprecatory Psalms. That is, we are not an ancient, small people oppressed on every side, trying to eke out an existence um, in the desert, right? 
Um, we live in a nation that's a superpower. But what the imprecatory Psalms show us is the voice of a people speaking to God from a place of anger, pain, and powerlessness, right? Who see all that's happening and need the Lord's intervention. Verse 16 says, who will stand up for me against the wicked, right? The psalmist is expressing that it doesn't feel like anybody's paying attention. Anybody's able to do anything. But again, Walter Brueggemann talks about three things that we should think about with our anger when something unjust has happened to us. And this is how he thinks about the imprecatory psalms. Um, when something unjust has happened to us, he says, one, we can act on our revenge, right? That is one option of something we could do with our anger. We could act on our revenge, but that doesn't really fit well with right, Christian ethics. Um, and that's partly why this Psalm starts with God, the avenging God, right? God, would you be, God be the one. The second thing we can do when something unjust has happened to us is we can deny it. We can stuff it. We can take that anger and stuff it. Um, Brueggemann says that, you know, that, that often comes out somewhere else, right? Perhaps in our family or those close to us. I would argue actually that for many Asian Americans, especially, um, but others probably also, that anger comes out on ourselves. I certainly identify with that. Um, looking back on, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, in an all white church and in an all white Christian school. And the ways I fit myself into tiny spaces that were allotted to me, um, the ways I believed the model minority myth, the ways I critiqued myself for not meeting someone else's standards, um, the ways I took the racist comments and felt like there was something wrong with me, the shame I felt led me to believe that there was something wrong with me. Um, many of us deny our anger, we stuff it down. Anti-Asian racism has a very long history in this country, right? Um, always the perpetual foreigner. After 9-11, South Asians and Middle Easterners were, um, were assaulted. Um, now during this pandemic, it's East Asians and Southeast Asians. But for the Asian American community, a lot of times the response to trauma is denial, right? And, and let me just be clear, response to trauma is response to trauma. You just gotta survive, right? Like we don't judge ourselves for our responses to trauma. But for a lot of us, it's, it's denial, um, stuffing that down, trying not to think about it. And part of what was so painful about the Atlanta shooting is that it brings back all of that trauma and it can't be denied. The third thing that Brueggemann says we can do with our anger when something unjust has happened to us. Wait, the first one is you can act it out. The second one is you can deny it. The third one is we can give it to God, right? And that's what the Lament Psalms invite us to do. That's what the imprecatory Psalms invite us to do, to say, these are our real feelings and I'm gonna bring them to God. In the fall, I was so angry. Uh, I'm, like, I'm really angry right now too, but I'm just telling you a story from the fall. Angry about feeling unheard, in some work meetings. I was angry about the kids still being home for online school. To be honest, one of the things I was most angry about was that we couldn't and still can't keep our house 
even remotely not disaster level clean. Like it's just a disaster all the time. Like if I can show you what it looks like, I, I'm just not going to because I'm too embarrassed. But like in this clothis, it's a disaster. In our downstairs, it's a disaster. And anyway, I was angry. I was taking out on the kids. I was taking out on myself. With my spiritual director, it was just amazing. But we were doing a prayer meditation. And in that time, we discerned together that God was showing me that anger is what shows us that something isn't right with the world, right? So anger is what shows us that something isn't right with the world. And I think that's what Brudemann is saying here too. That's what we've been talking about in this season of lament. Something's not right with the world and we get to tell God about it. What I'm struggling with is, is, is the anger sort of eating me alive. And in that prayer meditation, I don't know if y'all have watched Avatar, The Last Airbender, but if you have, the way, I love that God spoke to me this way. I saw myself as a new airbender who was just engulfed in flames. I'm not an airbender, I'm sorry. Firebender, firebender. who's just engulfed in flames. So the whole premise is like, there's people who can bend earth, who can bend water, who can bend fire, who can bend air. Anyway, engulfed in flames because I'm trying to learn how to bend fire, anger being the fire, and I'm just on fire. And Jesus was standing there, animated Jesus, and um, didn't ask for anything, didn't necessarily like jump in, but was standing there. And I thought, oh, maybe I can try and give this to Jesus. And I did. I'm not sure exactly how it worked. But when that happened, Jesus held the, the fire, just, you know, like a little tongue of flame like they do in the cartoon. Um, and said, just let me hold it. Just let me hold it for a while. That's what I think Brueggemann is talking about when he says we can give it to God. That's what I think the lament psalms and imprecatory psalms like Psalm 94 invite us to do, right? Bring that anger to God. Express that anger to God. Last week and this week, probably next week and ongoing, I was angry and will be angry about patriarchy and white supremacy and so many American churches that won't acknowledge either of those things, much less denounce them or work against them. But what has helped me uh, is, is in this Psalm, um, Dr. Richard Clifford says, though aware how evil has corrupted the institutions of justice, the Psalmist never loses sight of the pre presence of divine justice in the world. From where does such a conviction come? Three sources. The nature of God revealed in the title, God of Vengeance, right? So that God is the one who will bring justice. And then God's enduring commitment to Israel, to God's people. And then third, a profound personal experience of a God who protects and consoles. And that's what comes towards the end. 17, 18, 19 through 22. It says, who will stand up for me against the wicked? Who will help me against evildoers? If the Lord hadn't helped me, I would live instantly in total silence. Whenever I feel my foot slipping, your faithful love steadies me, Lord. When my anxieties multiply, your comforting calms me down. The Lord is the one who comforts, who stands up for me. The Lord is the one who helps, whose faithful love steadies me. I've been knocked off my equilibrium a lot this past year, a lot. And especially in the last couple of months and, of course, the last couple of weeks, 
I'm really struck by how it says your faithful love steadies me, Lord. Uh, when my anxieties multiply, I have felt like my anxieties have multiplied this year. Um, this psalm is about reality, I think, for me anyways. We do long for God to come. In our anger, in our pain, we express our real and honest feelings. We tell God about the injustices that we are experiencing. We invite God to do something. Not just invite, demand that God do something. And we bring those honest feelings to God. And we choose to try and remember the ways that God has been and is with us. Um, one more piece about in our anger and in our pain, expressing our feelings. I, I spent a little time yesterday thinking about the murderer. I try not to think about him too much, but in regards to the murderer, do I, do I want him to repent of his hate? Absolutely. Do I want him to be freed from the bondage of white supremacy and patriarchy? I think so. But I also assert my dignity and say, I long to be free. I long to be free from the systems of white supremacy and patriarchy. I long for all women of color, especially, to be freed from these systems. Save us, oh God, save us. And on Palm Sunday, I remember that being freed from oppression might not look the way that I think it should, or might not come the way that I want it to come. I've been thinking a lot about our Christian siblings in places like the Philippines, Myanmar, Hong Kong, um, places where um, the church, people in the church are fighting for freedoms, are fighting against powers that are just mighty, right? They have the full backing of the military, in Hong Kong's case, the Chinese Communist Party. I think about Dr. Melba Magai, who's a theologian that I really admire and have gotten to meet in the Philippines. And she talks about being a part of the Edsa revolution, which in the 80s is what toppled Ferdinand Marcos. The church really had a role in that. But now they're under another regime. And I think about her faithfulness in the midst of what doesn't probably doesn't seem like progress. I think Palm Sunday speaks to that for me. That that, that kind of faithfulness, I, I don't know if I have that kind of depth of discipleship to hold on to that kind of faithfulness, but I want to. I want to. It scares me, but I want to. That doesn't mean we stop speaking out, right? That doesn't mean just because it might not look the way we want it to doesn't mean we stop speaking up, right? Speaking up for our uh, dignity, speaking our truth, speaking our desire for freedom. Holy Week reminds us that Jesus knows vulnerability. Jesus in the garden at Gethsemane, Jesus knows vulnerability. 
And I'm really struck that Grace, um, I didn't know that what that song, Wake Up Jesus, was going to be about. Um, but that's been a word that, that I've received in prayer over the last few weeks. There are a lot of storms. I'm, you know, I'm weathering a lot of different storms, but Jesus is in the boat. And in, in, the, in the prayer time I had, I felt like Jesus was saying, I'm in the boat. You can yell at me all you want, but I'm in the boat. I'm not leaving the boat. Your boat, you know. And I said, okay. I don't know where you're at in terms of um, injustices you're facing, what the storms are you are facing in your life in these times. But I wanna encourage us not to deny our anger, not to stuff these things, but also not to let them consume us, right? Not to be the, the new firebender that's just getting eaten alive, trying to feel like, oh, I, I gotta figure this out. At one point in the last couple of weeks, I've been judging my anger, right? Like I'm angry for the wrong things. I'm gonna be super honest with y'all. Uh, last weekend, I was not just angry at white supremacy and patriarchy and murder, but I was also angry that these events were really affecting my workload, which felt like super selfish. I'll just be honest. Didn't feel like a very holy reason to be angry. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm angry that the plans I had for this week are now out the window because I'm going to have to be doing all these other things. It was helpful to have a friend say, it's okay. You know, don't judge your anger. Just bring that to God. I think, I think God is okay with that. And I was like, oh yeah, it's, it's a way that I'm recognizing that not everything is not right with the world. And that affects my, you know, my literal workload. That's okay. And Jesus was very gentle with me in that. Um, the Psalm is about reality. I'll say again, we long for God to come. We express our real and honest feelings. We choose to remember the ways that God has been and is with us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this psalm, for the ways it both speaks for me and challenges me. I pray for my friends here that you would help us to be faithful the way we've seen saints in the past and saints now. And like I mentioned, Dr. Magai, being faithful amidst what might not look like progress. Help us to remember that you are in the boat with us. Help us to bring our real and honest feelings to you. We love you, God. We trust you. We pray this in your name. Amen.